This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. All right, before I get to my next guest, Damon Hack, I want to give a shout out to our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world. And that remains their mission today. They forge every club they make to provide the feel and the feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And their craftsmen micromanufacture each club to your exacting specifications in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. You'll only find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment online at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them there today to learn about their great products and their great prices. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now joining me here on Next on the T is Golf Channel Morning Drive host Damon Hack. Let me give you some more background on Damon. He's from L.A., graduated from UCLA with his undergraduate degree in UC Berkeley with his master's degree in journalism. Started out covering the San Francisco 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. In 2000, he moved over to Newsday covering the New York Knicks and golf. 2002, he joined the New York Times covering golf and the NFL. 2007, joined Sports Illustrated covering golf and the NFL for them as well. Joined the Golf Channel back in 2012. He currently works on his golf game with our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, and I'm very honored to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Damon, thanks for coming on the show. Chris, what's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm fantastic. Damon, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Just uh, hanging out on a Tuesday. Got back from Lake Tahoe where I did a interesting race and in sports in America discussion. I also was doing interviews at the American Century at beautiful Edgewood. I'm back on morning drive tomorrow, so uh, life is good. So, yeah, I want to get into a lot of what you just mentioned. I want to I want to start by uh, trying to get some feedback from you. When did you meet TP, and when do you when did you guys start working together? Oh, Tom Patry, I met TP. We're going on a decade now. It, it might even be longer than that. I want to say it was probably 2009. I was working at Sports Illustrated. I was speaking at the Masters at one of those kind of sales houses where, you know, they want to bring in a golf rider to come in and talk to some folks that are affiliated with the tournament who have come in as guests of the tournament. So I did a little talk, um, told some stories about being a golf rider. Uh, one of the gentlemen named Alan Citrin a good buddy of mine now, but I didn't even know him at the time. He just came up to me. We started talking. He appreciated my talk, wanted to know where I was from. He told me he's from Pittsburgh, is a, a member of a club there uh, outside of Pittsburgh called Oakmont that uh, you might have heard of. And he goes, you got to come to Oakmont and play. I was like, man, you don't, you don't have to twist my arm. I'll, I'll, I'll gladly come to Oakmont to play. So I go to Oakmont, play golf with Alan. I'm introduced to the great Bob Ford, head professional long time at Oakmont and Seminole 
And, you know, Bob and I are talking, and Alan, we're talking, Damon, you know, who do you work with? I go, well, I live in New York. I don't work with anybody. Who should I work with, Bob? And Bob goes, well, I have a pal named Tom Patrick who happens to be in New York. So I've been stuck with TP for more than a decade. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, God knows. God bless you. Um, (laughs) But he's fantastic. We've become pals, and, and, and he's a fantastic teacher. We we give each other a lot of stick, but I love the man. And, uh, you know, we talk about a lot more than golf. He's helped me quite a bit with my game. Uh, but we talk about life. He's been out to dinner with he and his wife, Denise. I've met his son, TJ. They've met my boys and, and my wife, Susanna. So uh, he's he's not just my pro, he's my pal. And, Damon, like you say, you, you've been covering golf now for 20-plus years. Talk about your roots in the game. When did you first get introduced to the game of golf? When did you first start playing? Yeah, I was in graduate school at UC Berkeley from 94 to 96, and a lot of the students there um, that I happened to befriend were into the game of golf. I had played maybe once or twice in college when I was at UCLA. Tiger started winning U.S. amateurs, in fact, concurrently to my time at Berkeley, 94, 95, and 96. He won three straight U.S. amateurs, was starting to become a bit of a known uh, entity. I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area going to school. He was at Stanford, so I started to read about this young man from Southern California, multicultural background, and I had not played golf as a kid. Golf was not something that was a part of my upbringing I uh, was not on television in my house. My parents didn't play. No one in my family played. So it was really through Tiger that I got into golf, um, started to read about the history of the game, uh, wanted to write about the game and, and read about the great writers like uh, Dan Jenkins. You think of Dave Anderson. You think of Frank DeFord, Rick Riley, Mike uh, Bamberger. There, there, these were guys that I started to read, uh, you know, Golf Digest magazine, Sports Illustrated, and uh, and next thing you know, I'm I'm starting to play the game and shoot my little one tens and one twenties and and still loving the challenge of trying to to conquer the unconquerable game. Let's talk about you know how you got your start at the Golf Channel and Damon. One of the one of the amazing things I think about you and as I was doing the research on you is you you wrote about the game for a long time and then you make the transition to the Golf Channel and now you're in front of the camera and you seem very relaxed and very at home in front of the camera. What was it, what was the transition like from, for you going from writing about the game to being in front of the camera talking about the game? Yeah, you know, in 2012, um, I was still writing at Sports Illustrated when I got uh, a call from Golf Channel, and there were some folks that had worked in the golf magazine side of it. Uh, Jeff Russell, who was uh, one of the editors at Golf Digest, his wife, Molly Solomon, who's the executive producer at Golf Channel, they were looking for some some new blood, looking to expand the roster, as it were. And I had known Jeff just from the writing world. And he said, would you be interested in coming down from, from New York to Florida to kind of try out for a week and, and you know, sit on morning drive with Gary Williams and, and talk about golf? We chose a week. It actually happened to fall right after the U.S. Open at Olympic Club. So, that was the year Webb Simpson won. He beat Graham McDowell and, and Jim Furyk and some guys that were in the hunt. I think Tiger actually held a 36-hole lead, if I recall. And uh, next thing you know, I'm flying on Monday after that U.S. Open from San Francisco to Florida, 
sit across from Gary Williams on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And I got offered a job that evening. Um, my agent called me and said, Damon, they're, they're going to offer you a job. And I was, I was shocked, surprised, thrilled, because at the time, Sports Illustrated was offering buyouts because, as, as many of your listeners know, and you as well, just the landscape of media changing, advertising dollars not quite there for, for print media as, as it was in the past. So I had an opportunity. We liked to stay in Florida. My wife and I had come and visited. Uh, you know, throughout our, our time together. So we're like, why not give it a shot? So we, we moved down here and in 2012. I've, I've been here for eight years now. And you know, I didn't know I would make a, a, a life in television as I have. It's, it's definitely it's different than writing. It's a lot harder than I thought it would be. I used to think as a writer, all those TV guys just get up there and talk. But you've got a producer in your ear and you've got to throw a commercial, bring it out of break. Uh, tossing to sound bites and different things that I never really appreciated until I was the guy standing in front of the camera with the red light on. So it took some time. It took some reps, just like anything. It's like the game of golf itself. The the more I sat in front of the camera, I feel like the better I got, the more comfortable I got. And, and I'm definitely thankful and, and really just appreciative to be able to talk about a game that I love so much. And Damon, we've seen you a bunch doing the, the golf academy segments and you you've probably done thousands of tips or been a part of those segments with thousands of different tips and and probably the best instructors in the world kind of going over a bunch of different things now if that were me i'd now have a thousand different swing thoughts you know whenever i'm doing <laughs> something how do you, how do you block some of that out and not let your game your swing become a wreck when you're listening to all of those different tips Early on, Chris, I, I think I kind of did get swayed by uh, the guest of the week uh, who had, a, a you know, five minutes to, to kind of explain his or her philosophy. And, and I don't want to say that all of it, you know, not relatable to me or didn't help me, but I think you can start to chase your tail a little bit. So as time went on, I kind of just viewed the segments as they were. This was five minutes to explain this teacher's philosophy. Um, you don't have to follow it yourself. You don't have to go out and try it that day because I think you can get to some real uh, bad habits. You don't want to stand on a tee box with, with 10 different thoughts. And I think one of the great things I've found with, with, with TP uh, is that, I, you know, I don't have a lot of swing thoughts. I've, I've, we have a few things that we worked on, and I've worked with him off and on for 10 years now. So, so he knows my swing well. Uh, we kind of go back to a lot of the same things. I've got great V1 video lessons that I've kept from Tom. And it's, it's funny, even as, as, you know, you get a little older, your body changes. Some of those faults that you've had, you know, a decade ago can still come back. But it, I tell you what, for a while, I even said it. I'm like, man, I'm getting confused. Too many swing thoughts, too many different guests. My job is to ask questions and inquire. You know, one person says, use your body in the short game. The other person wants you to be more handsy. Uh, you know, and the next thing you know, you're you're kind of stuck between different philosophies. So, for me, I'm 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 TP ride or die at this point. And if we have <laughs> guests that talk about instruction, uh, uh, they do their thing. I listen. I try to filter out, you know, what I can, and uh, I'm sticking with my guy. Damon, as you mentioned uh, at the top, you hosted a very important show that aired last night on the Golf Channel, Race and Sports in America. 
You had several really great athletes on the show, people like Ozzy Smith, Charles Barkley, Steph Curry, James Blake, Troy Mullins, Anthony Lynn, Jimmy Rollins, and Kyle Rudolph. What was it like for you as the host of those two different panels on such an important topic like that? Talk about you know being the host and then some of the things that, uh, that you guys talked about. Yeah, I was really thankful for the opportunity. It's been about a month or so that I wrote a column uh, for GolfChannel.com kind of expressing my sadness as an African-American man for, uh, for the death of George Floyd and how I was you know, nearing the age of 50 myself and was kind of feeling almost like a surreal sense of sadness that some of the same conversations that my dad had had with me, I was having with my children. And I just kind of felt sad. I felt a little bit empty. My wife's like, why don't you write a column? So I wrote a column. And the next thing you know, uh, I'm receiving wonderful notes and, and feedback and people are saying you know what let's let's pull together let's let's have these discussions on race let's let's do better as a as a society and a country and, and i've actually been really kind of emboldened excited optimistic about some of these conversations i've been allowed to have and uh after my column and some discussions with my bosses they you know invited me to host this remarkable panel of, of the athletes that you just mentioned um from throughout different sports. And it was just a, a great experience for me to kind of tee them up on questions here and there. But for Chris, I didn't even speak that much. It was great to let them talk and to have interactions and explain their own truths about the complexity of being, you know, maybe you're a wealthy African-American, but you have pain for the African-American community and, and you want to see uh, a changes uh, for the good. And, uh, you know, I, I received some notes that said, oh, why is this on Golf Channel? I just want to watch golf. And why is everybody whining? And I said, listen, this is, I said, watch the show. There, there's no whining going on. There's a lot of optimism. There are people that, that want to see our country live, live up to its, to its potential and to its creed. So I walked away from Lake Tahoe very excited and very happy that uh, NBC allowed us to kind of take a chance and talk about some some complex things because some people rather just oh let's not talk about this let's let you know i'm tired of talking about this and and clearly there are there are changes that need to happen and i'm and i'm glad that we had you know a, a female on the show a, a white male and in kyle rudolph who said you know what it did me good to sit down with my african-american teammates and, and and learn to have to kind of hear those stories so i thought charles Barkley was wonderful jimmy rollins ozzy uh you know steph troy Anthony, uh, Kyle, James, everyone shared their truth, but I think everyone also walked away, you know, not dour or down, but actually excited about the future and, and hoping that people of all stripes, from all backgrounds, uh, can kind of row in the same direction. And Damon, as you mentioned, everybody got an opportunity to share their truth. You've had your own experiences being treated differently, being pulled over on the New Jersey Turnpike for no reason, being frisked outside your own house as a young man. Do you mind sharing some of the things that, that you've had to deal with being an African-American male? Sure, Chris, and people were surprised that I had had any issues or run-ins with the police, you know, considering I've never even smoked pot, I've never done drugs, I, I um, live a clean and a very positive life but I've been pulled over and, and searched for drugs or weapons in my car. The, the cop asked me point blank if I had drugs or weapons in my car. I've been frisked in front of my mom's house uh, back when I was about probably 20 years old. 
um, one of the neighbors' alarms went off, and my mom and I, the neighbor, said, will you tell the police that, you know, I actually set off my alarm? So my mom and I go out to the front of the house to greet the, 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 of the apartment complex to tell the, the police, oh, our neighbor, she accidentally set off her alarm, and the cop sees me and starts frisking me. And my mom's like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, and, and so, and then I got pulled over on the New Jersey Turnpike, and the cop said, oh, there was a dog loose. He saw me with three white friends and realized we weren't any threat. And I got pulled over once while driving home from uh, a summer internship in California and uh, didn't break any laws. No tags were out of date, no broken taillights. It was just because uh, some of us call it driving while black. And so I wrote my truth and I was like, listen, I'm thankful for the job I have. I'm thankful for the life I have. But man, it, 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 it it's a reminder and it's painful to have to to have to deal with these situations when I respect law enforcement, when my cousin is FBI retired, when my wife's cousin is active NYPD, imagine the conflict I feel to have such love and respect and honor for our, you know, those who protect and serve, but then also have had my own personal situation. So I even wrote this. I said, can I be both thankful and, and, and horrified at, at the state of uh, police relationships at times? with the African-American community. So i talked to people, I would say 95% have been, thank you for sharing your truth. Some people say, oh, you're whining. What do you have to complain about? You're on TV. And I say, hey, I'm on TV two hours a day. When I'm not on TV, I'm a six foot three bald-headed black man in a, in a largely white community. So I do my best to try to be honest. And I, I'm not, I didn't write the column to, to bitch and moan. I wrote the column to share my truth and to be honest because i feel like if i wasn't being honest just to be sitting on tv and smiling every morning uh wasn't doing myself or or my colleagues justice and and you know, i gotta say Paige mckenzie robert dameron and a whitely lauren thompson all appreciated what i had to say they know me they know my heart um and it's been it's been really cathartic to be able to share some things that otherwise i would have kept to myself and and no one at home would have been uh, any the wiser. And Damon, let's take that just a, a step further because, you know, I, as you say, you wrote and you tweeted about this, you know, can I smile on TV and be somber when the camera is off? Can I have laughter in the morning and tightness in my chest at night? Talk about what causes that range of emotion for you. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it was amazing to, to be feeling so happy and so blessed and, and, and so thankful to be in the position that I am uh, and, and to love my job, but to have this kind of hollow feeling that I'm hearing the echoes of my, my grandfather who moved my family from the South in the 1950s after Emmett Till was killed. Um, a 14-year-old boy who was accused of whistling at a white woman and he was killed and his, his mom had an open casket to show the the devastation that his son went through, the the, the the bludgeoning that he took. My family moved from Memphis, Tennessee to California because of that incident. And that's a story that I was told. And here I am, a 48-year-old man watching a 46-year-old black dude who doesn't look that different than me, you know, being choked out for eight minutes and 46 seconds. So, uh, and thankful that my interactions with the police never escalated to that point. But like, why do I have to be extra smiley when I'm running jogging in the neighborhood or like, you know, when I'm in an elevator and I see someone looking a little nervous, hi, you know, like it's one thing to be 
Damon Hack on on television, but you know, if I'm going for a jog and I'm wearing jogger shorts and a t-shirt, people don't know me from from Adam. So those are the conflicting things that 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 I think some people might not realize that that African Americans go through or that some minorities go through. And I just it can be conflicting, but it's also been really to me it's been positive just to hear so many people say, "Wow, Damon, I know you. I know your heart." You're only doing this because you want to help. You want to share things. And and I think this is a multicultural movement. I don't think this is, you know, all these black people that want. I, I feel like this is white people and, and multicultural people that want us to do better. And if you look at these protests, and I'm for peaceful protests, by the way, if anyone has any doubt, um, I think they've been multicultural. I think they've been largely led by by white people white americans and, and it's not like it's all black people that are marching so i feel like and a lot of the people said this on the show last night that this is a multicultural movement that people just want to see us do better uh it's the greatest country in the world i don't want to live anywhere else but i also feel like as a young country uh we still have some growing up to do and there's nothing wrong with loving your country and wanting your country to be a little bit better and Damon, Charles Barkley last night also talked about how economic plays into the issue. Do you see that as well? When you know, If you look back like to the time when you were an intern, you were perceived one way, but now that you're on the Golf Channel, you're perceived a different way? Absolutely. I, and I think Charles put it really, really well. Uh, you know, He says, I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. And I feel the same way. I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me either. Uh, I have a wonderful life, but I also, I feel pain for people, you know, anyone who's struggling, anyone who's poor. And, and, and just because, you know, yes, there's black poverty, white poverty, poverty's power. If you're poor, you're poor. And and I think that was Charles Barkley's point. But I think if you're poor and black, it's like, it, it seems to be, if you look at the history of our country, it, it's like a double whammy. It's especially hopeless. So... I guess Charles's point was, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Can we can we fix some of the problems in the inner city? Can we have a situation where the educational opportunities are there? And he says that this COVID pandemic has only exacerbated the the problems in in poor neighborhoods because those are folks that don't have access to internet. You know, we say, oh well, you can do homeschool. Well, does every child in in the inner city have a computer or internet or an ipad or if you have four kids do you have four ipads i mean so he brought up a lot of the economic aspects i think that was that was really really a good point as well and talked about athletes giving back more and i think a lot of athletes are are expressing themselves uh, and i'm glad to see it you know some people think oh athletes shouldn't talk about these things this is just you know shoot the hoop or hit the puck or or you know swing the club uh i'm thankful that that a lot of athletes are using their voices because you know what Arthur Ashe did and Billie Jean King and Jackie Robinson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, and, and many others in the past. So I, I um, I'm, I'm glad that the eight, uh, you know, folks in sports who joined me yesterday uh, wanted to use uh, their voice and, and share their truth. And, and they're not trying to hurt me. They're trying to help this country. And Damon, one of the things that Troy Mullins, who's an African-American female and a world long drive competitor, one of the things that she said really struck me. She said, we've lost some of our humanity because we're so into our phones and so into ourselves 
that we become so unfeeling that something that could happen like the George Floyd incident or what happened to James Blake when he was tackled by police officers and knelt on and in a case of that ended up being mistaken identity that uh, that happened with him. But that sort of loss of humanity because we've become so into ourselves. Do you think is that a part of the problem? Have we lost sort of connection with each other a little bit due to technology? I think we have, Chris, I, I thought that was one of the more powerful moments and poignant moments of our discussion was when she said that, because I hadn't thought of that and I hadn't been thinking about that, but just the fact that we are a little bit desensitized uh, because of technology, uh, because we are so into ourselves, there does seem to be a bit of a loss of, of, of humanity there. I, I think we sadly have a pretty violent culture through through television and movies. I think it's a multi-layered issue when you're talking about that. Uh, I, I do think that this death was especially shocking. Most of us, because of the pandemic, were sitting at home. Uh, there was nothing else to do but watch it or read about it or, or see it on Twitter or, or your, whatever social media handle you use. But I do think that there has been a loss of humanity. I, I do think that we are probably a little bit more selfish than maybe we were 15, 20 years ago because of technology. Uh, maybe there's some good that can come out of this awful year. It's just been such a challenge for so many people. Uh, I know that people are in a lot worse shape than I am. People that are, are looking for a next job, trying to feed their families. Um, again, I don't I don't have much to complain about. I'm 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 not a complainer. I'm not a whiner. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that uh, these conversations from the struggles that a lot of people are dealing with, we can find more common ground and more humanity. And, and I do believe from the conversations I've had from people inside golf, I'm talking. USGA, PGA of America, PGA Tour, there are some pretty powerful people in high places that want to see golf take a leading role, want to see sports take a role. After all, and Anthony Lynn said this, you know, gosh, think about sports teams and, and how you have people from different parts of the world that can join an offensive line and, and pull together. You know, players from the South, from the North, from the East, from the West, and as the coach said, people that are growing up to hate each other, are, are they become brothers. And, and when I asked him, what would you like this country to look like and to be like a year from now, he said, I'd like to be like a football team where everybody is pulling in the same direction, regardless of the skin color, and, and people have empathy and sympathy and love for one another. And I think that goes back to what Troy said, that humanity that's been lost uh, needs to be found again. And Damon, to that point, right, one of the things that uh, you guys talked about and I think we've talked about over the years as a society is sports sort of unites us. It, it brings us together and, and it has the opportunity to lead the way you mentioned Jackie Robinson a moment ago and, and, and the important role that he played in sports, bringing us you know, to a, a next level. Uh, players like Charlie Sifford and Lee Elder on the PGA Tour. Talk about the role you think sports can play to help us come together. Yeah, I think it has throughout society. I mean, you look at Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in 1947. That was, you know, long before the end of, of Jim Crow in, in our country and, and, and seeing how the Brooklyn Dodgers and Branch Rickey, you know, treated him and signed him and, and then, of course, he had to go out and perform, and, and he did. And, and, and Charlie Sifford getting a late start to his PJ Tour career um, and winning a couple times, not starting until his 40s to, you know, well past his prime. 
but I do think that sports can play a role. And, and I know that, you know, what's been so interesting to me, Chris, is I, I feel like there are a lot of people that just are confused or don't want to talk about these things. Um, and it's not about accusing white people of being um, racist. You know, I, I think it's, it's just about listening. It's about listening and being open to, to, uh, to maybe someone else's truth and someone else's pain. And I think that uh, the more listening that happens on all sides, man, everybody can talk these days. Everybody's got a cell phone. Everybody can fire off a tweet. Um, but the, the more we can listen as a society, the more we can kind of pull and row in the same direction. And, and gosh, I, I do think that sports, you know, we, we miss that. We miss seeing, you know, teammates pulling together, regardless of their background, all for the same goal. And I, I do think that, uh, you know, if, if history is any judge, uh, when sports comes back, you know, you'll see uh, sports serve a role uh, and usually a positive one in kind of, uh, you know, pardon the pun, but, but pushing the foot positive and together path. Damon, just a couple more before I let you go. And you talked about earlier uh, feeling optimistic. And I know, you know, Charles Barkley last night said, you're either hopeful or you're hopeless. It's either A or B. And he always wants to be optimistic. And you said tonight, and, and I think you said, you know, last night that you emerged from the conversation feeling optimistic. Talk about why. Yeah, you know why? Because I work in a game of honor. I work in a game where, you know, oh gosh, everyone I meet, almost every single person I've met in golf, I like. Um, I feel like in my realm, in my little world of golf, that people want to do the right thing. We're taught to follow the rules in this game. We're taught, we're taught to, to play by the rules, to call penalties on ourselves, to look out for the rest of the field. And I feel like because of that, there are people that are, of good heart and good mind that want to come together in what's been a painful year and do something positive. And I've seen it. I've seen, I've been on zoom calls with executives and people of all stripes do things large and small. And, and I think that's just what gives me hope is that people that I, I was afraid of sharing my story and not had no idea what kind of reaction I would get. And you know what? Hey, you're not going to please everybody. That's fine. Uh, I know some people don't like what I've had to say, but I tell you what, most people do. And and if I get in a room with them and talk to them, and even on Instagram today, someone said, you know, why are, you know, why are these millionaires talking about this? Like, well, well these these are the people that are asked the question and they have a voice and they come from these neighborhoods. They they bring a perspective. So you're going to have a little turbulence here and there. Not everybody's going to agree with you. That's fine. Everyone has an entitled to their opinion. But I just think in our game. Uh, you know, no matter your 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 political stripe, that you you want to do good, and and I think that most people are coming together to just try to find some common ground. And, and most of the reception I've received from the show, from my column, uh, from the the strife of this year, is that people want to come out on the other side uh, with a smile, with optimism, and with us being better. I, I say it all the time. I love my country. Uh, our country's young, and we can continue to get better and better, and I believe that we will. Damon, uh, before I let you go, first of all, um, with all the news about the Golf Channel, are, are you uh, you moving north? We're going to find you up in Stanford. To be 
uh, one of the, the, the fortunate ones to go. I'm sad to see the end of a, of a wonderful era down here. Uh, Orlando's been home for eight years now plus. And obviously, you know, you think of what Arnold Palmer built and Joe Gibbs and, and just the wonderful run it's been down here. But, uh, you know, this is kind of the realities of, of the media world. And uh, we're shifting gears, joining, uh, be closer to the NBC Sports family up in Stanford. Uh, but we'll still do a lot of the same things we do, which is talk about this great game. Um, I'm fortunate to get to travel from time to time, cover some tournaments. And I'm very, very much looking forward to uh, to the next chapter for the channel and, and for me personally. And um, it's going to be uh, kind of an old home return. I lived in New York for 12 years. My wife's family's in New York, so we'll be up in the Connecticut area most likely. And shorter golf season, but very passionate fans up there, as you know. So I'll uh, look for a couple places to play and get reacquainted with some courses that I used to play. And we'll uh, – See if we can break 80 up there if it doesn't happen down here. Damon, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's you continue to write an article from time to time or all the great stuff you're doing with the Golf Channel, how can they follow you on social media? Well, appreciate that. I'm at, at Damon Hack GC and also at Goats and Grapes, which is my uh, little uh, hobby, side hobby, where I the intersection of wine and sports, goats being greatest of all time. So it's at Damon Hack GC and at goats and grapes. Damon, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show. You're fantastic. I hope we get the privilege of uh, catching up with you again soon, hearing more of your stories, hearing more of your insights. You're fantastic. Well, that's kind of you, Chris. I appreciate the conversation and, and the platform, and I hope we can do it again soon. Damon, stay safe. All the best to you and your family. Uh, like I say, we'll uh, hopefully get the opportunity to, to catch up soon and uh, keep, keep it up with TP. Uh, you got to keep him honest, right? You got to let me know. Keep him <laughs> honest because you know what he can oh, be like when absolutely. he can get your goat. I'm stuck with him and he's right, stuck Damon. with me. <laughs> See you soon. Take care, Damon. That's a great Damon hack, folks. And, um, boy, it just really doesn't get much better than that. So much to to digest, and they, they did such a wonderful job uh, moderating the panels last night on the show, Race and Sports in America. One of the things that I that I loved about what I saw last night and then what I heard here on the show tonight, optimism, right? Hope. It was It's a very important topic. We have a very long way to go in this country, um, and it is a universal movement, and uh, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we're going to continue to move in a positive direction and the country and all of us are going to get better and better in this area. We, we have to. That's sort of the bottom line. We have to. We have to do better. I think having a historical perspective that this is a young country is a, is a very interesting one because it is true. Um, but we should be a lot further along than we are right now. And that's the bottom line. And we all have to do better and we all have to come together. And um, and to make this, you know, kind of what, what he mentioned about that Anthony Lynn talked about, all pulling in the same direction. We're all one team, and we have to really realize that, and uh, and come together as as a country, come together as a people, to be better, and to realize we all are created equal. And um, if we can realize that, and start to row in the same direction, 
What a wonderful place this will be. What an unstoppable country we will be. So I, uh, I hold his optimism very dear, and I, and I join him in that optimism that uh, we are going to see change, and we are going to move forward, and we are going to come together, and we are, we are going to be better for it. So hopefully we get the privilege of having Damon back on the show again soon, hear more of his stories and his insights. Really enjoyed the time with him. Uh, and then TP, you know, when you think about uh, he's, he's working with TP, who is, uh, who is outstanding TP, you know I love you. So uh, we look forward to TV. We'll be back on the show again next week. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about this segment as well. All right, before I close up shop tonight, I want to give a shout out to one of our new sponsors, Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the McLemore. The McLemore Mountaintop community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts, the resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen. Designed by Bill Bergen, the Karen provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themclemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks to Marco Iannucci and Damon Hack for being a part of the show tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule is looking like. You can stream this show as a podcast on so many great sites. Podcast.co, can't thank them enough for all the help that they've given us in uh, developing the show and, and, and bringing it to a broader audience. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm. And I also want to welcome Radio.com as a new platform offering the show as a podcast as well. Folks, thank you. For, uh, for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We appreciate the fact that you continue to make us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.
Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan Wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.